Okay, so I would like to thank Ed, also known as Edward, for joining us on this episode. Um, so before we get into the background information of who Ed is, I just want to let the audience know that he is my cousin, <laughs> um, my younger cousin, and he is a reporter for WKBW, is that right? That's right. Okay, the ABC affiliate in Buffalo. So tell me, or tell the audience, because I know who you are. Tell yep. the audience um, about how you grew up, where you grew up, you know, uh, high school, journalism, college, post-college, like up to now. So like, who are you in like a snapshot? So professionally, I am the morning anchor and investigative reporter for WKBW in Buffalo, as you mentioned. And uh, I grew up on Long Island, spent, you know, 20 years of my life there and worked in New York City, worked in a small market in a place called Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is where James Madison University is, and moved to Buffalo uh, almost 11 years ago at this point, I, you know, grew up in a middle-class, upper middle-class neighborhood with every opportunity available to me. And I was fortunate enough to have an idea of what I wanted to do when I was young, had a dream of becoming a reporter, had a passion for journalism and went to school for journalism, for communications. And when I was in my, uh, in between my junior and senior year of college, I had an internship at WABC in New York. That was summer of 2007. I often refer to it as the best summer of my life because it was a glimpse into a really well-known, high-energy, fast-paced newsroom, the number one station in the number one market in the country, the number one station in the country. And so to have that privilege of working there and learning there only put me on this straight and narrow path to where I am today. Okay, so what was it like working in Virginia coming from Long Island? It was culture shock. I really didn't know what to expect, but was working in a newsroom that was full of amazing journalists and amazing people from all over the country. And I feel like moving out of New York into a place that kind of took me out of my comfort zone only opened my eyes to the world, opened, opened my eyes to the rest of the country. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful part of the country with people who I really have never had an interaction with and spent three years of my life interacting with. And you kind of assimilate, but also learn um, you know, the differences, you kind of check yourself a little bit, right? You check who you are, what you've learned, how you have learned these things, and then relearn who you are in a very short period of time. So I love that since we are first cousins and we are clearly both in the field of journalism, I love that that like seed was planted with both of us. I have no idea where it came from, but I love that we, <laughs> that we both- I can tell it. you where it came from. We're both nosy and busy bodies. Wow, that is true. 
I believe they call that being a yenta. Yes. <laughs> okay, so as you are a reporter in Buffalo, I know that you covered the events last week at the Tops supermarket. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that as much as you are able and comfortable to share, um, you know, about your experience that day and what the following week has been like and what things look like moving forward. So, you know, let me kind of give you some background. It's Saturday. It's a beautiful Saturday in Buffalo. The weather is perfect. The sun is shining. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And I was going about my daily routine. And, you know, I don't want to make this about me by any means, but I'm kind of giving it to you from my experience. Yeah, no, that's what I want to hear. Um, running around, had gone to the gym, you know, and for what it's worth, hadn't even showered from the gym after working out because I was running around like crazy that morning. I get a text message from my news director, probably about 2.30, 3 o'clock. And I will never forget how eerie this was because, you know, in the news business, we are often privy to information before it's disseminated to the public. And the text message said, there was mass shooting at Tops on Jefferson. Everyone stand by and we're trying to figure out what our plan is. And when you hear that, it's like, okay, well, mass shooting is four people who were shot or a shooting with four people. And you think, okay, you don't want to immediately go to the worst, but your mind automatically goes there. Right. Okay. Then we find out, you know, it's three people on this text chain. It's two of my co-anchors and me. And everyone's pitching in. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll be there. You know, the sources are being confirmed. Information's being developed on this text thread. And I finally was able to get the information that I needed. And I was sent directly to the scene. Mind you, I had to drop everything that I was doing. I had to go home, shower really quick, threw on the first thing that I could find and rushed to the scene. And I live about, I don't know, 10 minutes away, not even 10 minutes. Everything in Buffalo is 20 minutes away. I was, you know, when I live on the West side, this was on the East side of the city. Um, got there and you just have to assess the situation as a reporter. What's going on? Who do you see? Who can you talk to? How do you get to the places that you need to be to meet your crew? I get there and I have never seen a scene like this before in my professional career. And, you know, I've been here almost 11 years, so I know people in this community and the people in this community know me, you know, personally and professionally. And so I saw a couple of people and, you know, just said, hey, how you doing? What's going on? What can you tell me? And, you know, everyone's hanging their heads low. You know, some police officers are saying, this is the worst thing that I've ever seen in the city of Buffalo. And to hear that from a police officer, you know, a higher ranking police officer says a lot because those people have been through a lot. And, you know, Buffalo is not immune to what the rest of the country has been facing in terms of gun violence. So to hear that from a police officer that this is the worst thing he's ever seen immediately stood out. Then I saw a familiar face. I saw 
Garnell Whitfield, who is the former fire commissioner of the city of Buffalo. And I, you know, didn't think anything of it. He, you know, is a member of the community. He still lives here. He grew up here as far as I know. And I said, Hey, Garnell, how you doing? Oh, good to see you. You know, obviously just trying to make conversation. It wasn't good to see anyone that day. And that's just kind of a, you know, a, a familiar greeting that you would give someone anyway. Um, good to see him under the circumstances, you know, a familiar face to kind of provide some comfort. Um, and I, you know, it, that seeing him kind of stuck out to me too, because I didn't really understand what his purpose was for being there. Then I, you know, hours out and hours later, I was leaving the scene and saw him again. And his, his, tone and his tenor had completely shifted and uh, he was surrounded by family and they were beside themselves sobbing grieving and I I said Garnell how you doing and I was kind of just like given the don't ask any questions kind of thing from what I I, I believe is a, another family member I just I that mem that moment will never leave my memory only to come to find out that his 86 year old mother Ruth was shot and killed inside the store Oh my God. So, you know, this person who came to the scene was conversational, but concerned would later come to find out that his own mother was shot and killed. And that to me is horrifying. And it is emotional and really poignant. You know, they have been outspoken ever since obviously because they want something to be done and they believe that there is a lot that's not being done so you know it was it was really hard to be there and you know to be able to cover this was really important for our community uh but at the same time no one wants to ever be in this situation and i didn't really understand how dire of a situation this is until I was actually there in the hours after and the dates after. It is just absolutely terrible. So I know that your coverage was picked up on CNN and on ABC. Right. So how did that happen? To be honest with you, I have no idea. So, you know, in the moment we are so focused on our community and the people who live in that area, the people who live in the surrounding areas. Western New York is not a small place. Buffalo is the second largest city in the state of New York. You know, outside of New York City, Buffalo is the next biggest city. Right. So Western New York, our coverage area is eight counties and two counties in Northern Pennsylvania. So we're broadcasting to a lot of people. Our signal goes as far north as Toronto and you know, even again, into Pennsylvania, Toronto, two hours away from here. So we're a CNN affiliate, we're an ABC affiliate. So CNN, I believe, just picked up our signal and they heard what was going on because in that moment, we were the only ones broadcasting live. You know, we cut into whatever programming was on TV. We're on, you know, streaming internet services on Facebook Live, trying to really make sure that our viewers are getting the most up-to-date, accurate information that's available to me as a reporter, being the eyes and the ears of the scene. 
talking to people, trying to develop information, trying to figure out, you know, paint the picture for the community. What is this place like? Asking tough questions of elected officials who just showed up at the scene. Um, and trying to keep my emotion in check to make sure that I'm the voice of calm for the community. So I have no idea how it was picked up by CNN other than we're an affiliate. They probably just took our feed and threw it on their air. Uh, ABC, I had been, they called me, asked me to do a hit for them as it's called in the business for ABC World News. And what was interesting about that is as I was doing that first hit, because it was all recorded, you know, they don't typically do a lot of stuff live just because they've got a very short time frame. They need to make sure that they are adding and cutting in, in you know, the right places, not my stuff in particular, but, you know, they have a very certain time frame that they have to fill and can't go over. Um, so I did a 45 second hit for them and in the time that they recorded and rolled on that first hit, I had already developed new information that from eight people dead to 10 people dead. So I had to re-record that whole thing in that very short time frame to update that information. And to learn that eight people had been killed was horrific, but to learn that 10 people were killed, it just gets even worse. Okay, so how trying to think of how to say this. How do you, as a white reporter, go into communities of color and I guess have the, the trust and the, um, can't think of the word I'm looking for, but I guess- The rapport? Yeah, you know, of the community to know that you're you're going to do right by them and you're not just a news truck that shows up and then leaves. Right. I mean, like I said, I've been here and that's a concern because, and, and you know, to answer the last part of your question first, a lot of the national media will be here for a week, then they're out. Right. And the nation's eyes will focus to a different issue, a different tragedy, a different, you know, point of contention and Buffalo will just be a blip on the map again. But for us locally, this is something that affects our community and will affect our community forever. So I've lived here. This is where I live. This is my home. This is a place that I grew up professionally, where I grew personally. And for me, for my neighbors, for the people who live in this community, it is personal. Somebody came in, according to police, from outside of our area, targeting this community in particular because of its demographic. That's personal. That's hateful. And when you can kind of put that message into perspective, you gain that trust. And I was so fortunate to be able to speak with so many different people who trust me with that message and trust that I'm not going to twist their words or make this one thing over something else. And I feel like that just comes from experience. But I mean, there were a whole ton of people who were there watching me do my reporting, listening to what I'm saying, and were just 
listening. And I've, you know, there were no riots. There were no protests. There were no, yes, emotions were high, but it wasn't out of control. Like we were civil as a community because we were united against hate. We were united against I don't even know how to say it. we were just we were there was a unison in this community and it was just so spectacular to see that to see everyone come together i mean the 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 funding that's come into this community through the 514 survivors fund has surpassed a million dollars this is not a wealthy community this is not you know there this is a blue collar town a very hard working dedicated salt of the earth kind of community and to have a million dollars raised in a in a couple of days, I mean, that speaks volume of this place. Yeah. Well, I mean, you touched on a couple of things that I can also relate to. So, as you know, and as the audience knows, I teach at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. I was on campus that day, and I right. survived the school shooting. Um, so I. I know not only as a journalist, but as, you know, a gun violence survivor, what the local media versus the national media means in a situation like this. And in this community, I can say that the national media was much better treated us better than the local media did. And I know that, you know, there's no, well, there might be now, but when you went to college, when I went to college and anybody older than us, you know, there was no course on trauma-informed reporting and trauma-informed journalism. So, you know, I don't fault the local media for not knowing how to properly handle this. Clearly, national media does this, unfortunately, on a much more regular basis. But I found that the local media, they seemed more like ambulance chasers to me, like parked outside of our school when nothing was happening, just to use us as the, you know, the backdrop of their live shot. And they still do that now. Like it's, I mean, we're recording this on a Sunday, but you know, like it's Tuesday and I'm leaving school and there's a news truck outside and I have no idea why, but you know, anytime there is a school shooting or anything to do with the trial, we become that live shot. And it's, it's very triggering for us. And I found that with the exception of a handful of local reporters by and large, the local news here, it was very, very different from the national news. And I was much more willing to give my time and give interviews to the national news, again, with the exception of a few local reporters with whom I have a, you know, a good longstanding relationship now. You know, if if you were here or someone like you was here, you know, I wouldn't have minded doing those local interviews because it is, 
your story to tell. This is your community. And, you know, it's very, it's frustrating when, you know, as a journalist, you're on the other side of it and you don't feel like it's being covered the way that it should be or the way that you feel is appropriate. But knowing you as I do for your entire life, I can say that the community of Buffalo, all of the communities within Buffalo are so lucky to have you because you are so conscientious and so in tune and, you know, you want to do your job and you want to do it well and you want to represent yourself and all of the people with whom you interact the right way. And I, you know, I think that's so commendable and, and admirable because there are so many people in the field who don't, you know, they just, they are those ambulance chasers. And I think that's terrible. The other thing that I don't think anybody listening knows is that you were the first interview I did after the shooting at my school. And I don't even know if you realize that. So I had no idea. Yeah. And I do not want to turn this, you know, into the Sarah story, but I'm going to for a moment. Um, so you had reached out to me at night. I want to say it may have been like 11 o'clock, which seems incredibly late for how early you get up. But I want to say it was around 11. You had texted me and asked me if I wanted to do or if I would be able to do an interview with you the next morning, which would have been February 15th. So, of course, I said yes. Not even like, well, it's Buffalo. Why am I going to do this? But of course, I said yes, because you're my cousin and this is what we do. And I got up that morning to go do like a full media blitz all day. And I was on the phone live on air with you as I was heading to like where all the um, news trucks were set up by school. And you were the first interview I did. And, you know, taking out our family ties, you know, as a reporter, the questions you asked and how much you cared about the situation that was not in your community. And, you know, if we weren't related, you know, you, you just seem to care so much about not only, you know, me, but what was happening here, because as we know in the almost, well, four to four and a half years since, these things could happen anywhere and have happened anywhere. So, you know, I know that you spoke to me very long distance, but, you know, and I know that we've spoken a couple of times on air since then, but I wonder how, you know, other other tragic events that you've covered, you know, in Buffalo, including our conversations about the shooting at my school, how has that impacted or 
changed the way that you cover things, the way that you handle, you know, violent or horrible situations? So I think that, and I appreciate that praise and I appreciate the kudos. Thank you very much. Um, It's all very well-deserved. Thanks. Um, You know, this is something that no reporter ever wants to be a part of, right? We are now part of a club that no one wants to be part of. Like we gained an entry to a club that (laughs) came with a huge, huge burden to our community. It's the shittiest club and it's the shittiest club in America. Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. It's terrible. You know, and I, I, I say that I grew here professionally and I say that I grew here personally and I've covered a lot. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot in the nearly 15 years that I've been a news reporter. And what I learned at the, you know, between the ages of 24 and 30, when I first came to Buffalo was that you need to dial it back. I cannot always be this hard charging, fast paced, go get them reporter. At some point I need to slow down, ask the questions that need to be asked, but re, but ask them in a, in a way that is less antagonizing and more with purpose, with more purpose. Um, you know, I would ask questions and, and just, I was, a, I was known as the bulldog reporter when I first started. And, you know, I, 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 I think that in this business, that is a badge of, a badge that people wear proudly because you're known to ask the hard charging questions. You're known to ask the questions that need to be asked and you don't care who's offended. And I think, you know, kind of coming to a different station and growing between the ages of 30 and 35, I learned that you attract more bees with honey. And I think that that's really the biggest lesson for journalists ask questions that need to be asked, but listen and make sure that you are hearing the full story. Make sure that you're giving a voice to the voiceless and the people who don't have a voice, making sure that they're represented. And for me, that was the most important thing in covering this tragedy, was making sure that the community is represented, an accurate depiction of the community is painted and that we are giving a voice to people who we don't often hear from. And there was one moment during this entire week that really stood out to me. There are a couple moments, obviously, that really stuck with me. And one in particular was when the president came to town. That was Tuesday. And we were on the air for hours and hours and hours, you know, kind of covering the moment the president landed in Air Force One to the moment that he started speaking. And that was in, there were hours of coverage. And in this one moment, you're trying to find people that, you know, that my assignment then was to, after the president laid his flowers with the first lady at the memorial, to go find people to talk to, which is a pretty broad assignment. So I 
went and found one guy. He was good. I, you know, he kind of gave us an idea of what he was feeling, which we needed to hear. He showed up to see the president and the first lady. But then on the other side of the memorial, I saw this group of guys just gathering, guys and girls, guys and women. And it was on the other side of where the media was set up. We, we were confined to this pen. And then once the president left, we were able to just kind of go about our business, wandering and weaving through the maze of yellow crime scene tape that was set up. Um, so I went, walked over to them and I, you know, just said, I was standing back and just, I saw them in a circle and one guy in particular, he, you know, he was not thrilled to see me and kind of dismissively said, can I help you? And I just said, Hey, you know, I met from channel seven. I wanted to chat with you. I wanted to see why you're here, what your thoughts are and, and kind of just wanted to get a sense of what you're feeling right now. And what he told me was, mind-blowing i mean we had a 15-minute conversation live on tv about race relations in america racism in our community and what it's like to be black in buffalo and that makes you that broadens your horizons that makes you realize what kind of turmoil and and frankly, trial these people face every single day of their lives. Um, you know, he asked me and I, I, you know, it was a rhetorical question, but he asked nonetheless, what is it like, what was the last time that you were in an elevator and some, a woman clutched her purse tighter? Or when was the last time that you were in a, in a market or a store and somebody followed you around asking if, they could help you 15 times. But as I was thinking about this, and obviously as a reporter, we don't necessarily answer questions. We're asking the questions. I said, can you tell me what's, what that's like? And he said, it's hell. It's degrading. It's disrespectful. And in that moment, I mean, these are all hardworking people. They have jobs at Tesla. They, are, they were there to see the president. They were there to pay their respects. And when you hear from these hardworking, these dedicated people who grew up in this neighborhood, who use that supermarket on a regular basis, you realize the trouble that we have bestowed upon ourselves because there is such hate and such racism in our communities. And that's exactly what this shooter, this alleged shooter was feeling in his heart. And he, you know, obviously there was a lot that he was feeling hate and came in and targeted this community. And, and, you know, 10 people were killed as a result of his racist motivations. So what's the, and I realize this is going to be a ridiculous question, but what's the, the vibe and the feeling in Buffalo now? Like I saw you had posted, um, balloons and you know like a memorial outside but what's the feeling there now so this has been a week from hell and it's been a hell for the victims families who you know and I, I go back to Ruth Whitfield who had just visited her, her husband in a long-term 
care facility, he's got dementia. She visited him every single day and took care of him, giving him a quality of life that no one else could give him for eight years. She had just come from visiting her husband, went to go pick up some groceries and in that moment was shot and killed. Wow. And no one's told her husband that she's dead because what would that do to him, you know, as a dementia patient? No one knows. And, 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 and he knows that she's not been there, but doesn't know that she's been killed. And then I go to, um, uh, you know, another victim whose family says, Pearl Young, who says that she had just gone to a prayer breakfast that morning and was, you know, in the space with the Lord and then hours later met him. That is haunting and chilling. It's been a hell of a week. Roberta Drury, 32 years old. I mean, she was young, her life ahead of her. She moved to Buffalo a decade ago to take care of her family member, her relative who was sick, dead. It has been an awful week for us. And the memorial is growing. There are millions of dollars coming into this community. The Buffalo Bills, the Sabres, the Bandits, the lacrosse team here um, came to show their support. Kim Pagula, who is the owner of these professional sports teams, says that we had a a duty here to kind of come show up and absorb some of that pain for this community. And the community is in pain, but there it's like, it's twofold, right? So that pain is because of the victims, but that pain is also because of hate. And I think in this community, the vibe or the thought, the feeling is that we need to kind of reform our views a little bit on how you know black is different or how you know people view the black community and how we develop parts of our community that are predominantly black the city's east side there's a majority of people who live there who are black and you know it's really important and i think the focus on one hand has been about the victims, but the other focus has really been about the people who live in this community who feel that they have been ignored for so long. So through all of that, and I completely understand how horrible this week has been, is there hope? Is there, I mean, it was so hard here to see any silver lining after what happened at my school, but while we were in the thick of it and looking back now, there are positives that come out of a tragic event like this. And at some level you feel horrible feeling that way because how could something good come out of, you know, in, in my situation, 17 people being killed in your situation, 10 people being killed, you know, how can you, how can you see something positive when something so terrible has happened, but there are positives that come out of it. So I guess that's that's what I'm looking to to hear. Like what yeah. what are some of what is some of the good that is coming out of the bad? You know, 
and and that's the point. It's all about there is so much positive that's happening right now. It is a community that's been burdened before, never to this level, but has had its fair share of adversity. And this community has rallied and has come out bigger and better on the other side. And the resiliency of this community is on full display. Um, it's about finding the helpers. And, you know, this is like an old Mr. Rogers kind of thing. The people who are coming and showing up and helping and going out of their way, that's the silver lining. That's the best of humanity. And when you see people coming together in a, in a way that is so united and really making sure that we kind of pause and say, okay, this wasn't right. That's the silver lining because there is so much good to come out of so much hatred and so much that was just so bad. And, you know, I often go back to, uh, you know, I, I actually used Marjorie Stoneman Douglas as uh, an example while I was on the air, you know, a tragic school shooting, but has come back and has been resili resilient and so many lessons have come out of what happened at Stoneman Douglas. And so many lessons will come out of here in time as well. But the growing memorial, the fact that people came to pay their respects, the fact that it's now, and I hate to even use this as a site to see, but it's a place where people can kind of come, you know, and, and spend a moment in solidarity with you and, you know, the victims' families and the community. That's what this has become as people kind of come and lay flowers from all over the community. And it's not black, white, Hispanic, it's just everyone. It is a total unification and that's the beauty. Uh, the best in humanity comes forward when something so tragic happens. It's true. So something that I think people may not think about or may not realize is the toll that it takes on the reporter <laughs> to, <laughs> to cover these things. So. How do you, how have you taken care of yourself and your mental health in this week and mm -hmm. in the past when you've had to cover tragic events? Um, and you know, I, I, like I've mentioned, I've covered a lot and I've done a lot and I've covered some awful, awful things. This is the worst I've, and I felt terrible, you know, obviously with that empathy that we all have and that moment to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes we take a lot on ourselves as reporters and we are often burdened with that emo emotional toll for as much as we try to disconnect. Um, there was, you know, one story years and years ago that I covered where a young boy who came here from a different country as a refugee was killed by somebody, uh, other children and just in a terrible, terrible way, brutal his body left in a field. It was awful. And it was, that was, a, that was a week that I don't ever want to relive, but this was a week that just has surpassed that in every way, shape and form. In that moment on Saturday, our jobs are to tell stories. Our job is to give you the information and get information as soon as we can confirm that information and relay it. Fluid situations are just that, and we are just running on pure adrenaline. Sunday, 
after I came home, I was anchoring the 11 o'clock live in the field. Uh, I came home and just sat and I couldn't believe what I had just done, what I had just experienced. The fact that somebody came into my community, shot and killed 10 people and thought nothing of it. And that, had, that took a toll on me. I don't understand how that is possible, how anyone could do something so stupid and so hateful and so ignorantly. I don't know, even know if ignorantly is a word. <laughs> it but is. You, they, you know what I mean? It was just, it was a moment of ignorance on their part. And to think that they were going to get away with it, number one, or number two, that this community wouldn't be able to stand at its two feet after. And I think we're showing that person that it's not how this community operates, but that's a sidebar. I, I came home and just was beside myself. Sunday, I found myself walking in circles. That's not really trying to still process and, and I, found myself at three different points during the day on the verge of tears because I just couldn't believe it. There were food donations being collected. I went, donated food because that's just what we do here. We come together as a community and somebody came up to me and was telling me how, you know, they, they were saying good job and I felt disgusting accepting those compliments because, you know, that I was doing my job, but I don't want to, I don't, being told good job felt gross to me and it was hard for me to swallow that and I just wanted to cry with the community finally by Wednesday I think they brought in grief counselors and to the station you know I actually I spent a half hour yeah to the station and I spent a half hour with one because I just it was so overwhelming at that point I had been covering this for four days and you really do absorb the burden. You're out there doing your job, but after the camera goes off and you put the microphone away and you know you go home, you are still a human being and you're still processing and dealing and feeling. And it was really hard for me to process that. Um, and this helped, it helped just to kind of, it made me feel lighter. Um, there were, you know, Monday was a hard day. Tuesday was a hard day long days, agonizing, you know, choosing your words correctly and making sure that you are speaking to the right people. Um, Monday, I came home, took a nap for two hours. And, you know, I, I often do this. I take, come home, take a nap, go to the gym. But I was exhausted mentally and physically and just woke up and I said, how can I do this? How can I go on? And just realized that I just need to sweat. So I, I followed through with my routine, followed through with my schedule and went to the gym. I was exhausted, but I had to be there for my mental health, for my physical health. Same thing on Tuesday. Um, but Tuesday morning I woke up and I, I, you know, I wake up at two 30 in the morning and I was just laying in bed going, how are we going to do this again today? But you wake up and you show up because that's what this community expects of you. And we are so fortunate to be in that role as reporters, as anchors, to show up and 
show up for the people who trust you and believe in you and expect you to be able to tell those stories of the people who were so tragically killed. And that's really all that's been in the forefront of my mind. I think, of course, taking care of your mental and physical health is important, but you, you're not a survivor of the event, but right. you're covering the survivors and the victims and the event itself. And it is so, so important that you also keep up with the, I mean, eventually it won't be grief counseling, but the counseling side of things, because, you know, and the same thing for me as a teacher, you know, in those years when the students from that day were still at the school, you know, I, I want to be there for them. I wanted to be there for them and to listen to them and to help them. But, you know, you become this sponge that eventually needs to be wrung out. And, you know, you don't want to not listen and you don't want to not help. But, you know, what what is the long lasting toll that's going to take on you? And I mean, I've been in therapy on and off throughout my entire life, but I will say that the work that I have been doing since the shooting at my school has been tremendous in helping me figure out what this, you know, quote, new normal, which I hate that phrase, but you know, what the new normal is. And, you know, it's helped me, it's given me perspective and, you know, as as a reporter, and this will unfortunately not be the last terrible thing you have to cover in your career, you know, it's important to keep up with that mental health counseling piece too. The gym is great, exercising is great, but eventually, you know, you have to be wrung out. And whether or not the station provides those resources, you know, it's important to seek them out on your own because, you know, as, as I've said many times, you're no good to anyone else if you're not good to yourself. So, you know, as much as I love you and, you know, I just want you to take care of you so that you can continue to take care of your community. You know, I'm so glad that you said that too, because one of my um, mentors uh, who was one of my first news directors that I ever worked for. Uh, his name is Ed Reams. He is a gem of all gems. He is so, um, he's just amazing. He's just amazing. And he covered Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 down in New Orleans. So he's, you know, been through his fair share of this kind of coverage too. And what he told me when I was kind of in like those low days was that you're no good to your community, which expects the best of you if you're no good to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that kind of was really, really good perspective for me. So, I mean, you just echoed his sentiment beautifully and you're right, he's right. And at the end of the day, we have an obligation as reporters, as anchors, as people in the media to do our jobs, right? That's what is expected of us. And I appreciate people saying, you know, how are you doing? But, you know, we kind of separate out the how are you doing from the what are we doing? And 
you know, I'll handle me, but let me also do my job as well. Well, I, I appreciate everything you're doing. Um, you know, I've been following your reporting and, you know, I've texted you and checked in to make sure you were okay. And I, I know that the community of Buffalo appreciates you and what you're doing, but those of us outside of Buffalo do as well, because you are keeping your, your finger on the pulse of what's happening there and, and keeping us informed now in the aftermath and, and moving through, you know, it's important to, to continue to do work and to help that community as much as possible you know, especially for those of us in, you know, the shitty survivor network, you know, we, we get it. (laughs) And it's, you know, what we can do to help and what you are doing to help is what's going to move this community through a horrible time and into a less horrible time. So I, I want to thank you. And I want to thank you for being on our little podcast (laughs) and I hope you'll come back and keep us updated on how things are going up in Buffalo. Thank you very much. And, and, you know, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that my most sincere condolences are with the victims families. And, you know, I, I am so sorry for what happened here, but we will come out of this and we will grow from this and we will become a better community and a better nation after this. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sarah.